Hey, it's Fitz, and if you don't know who I am, here's a quick bio. Veteran sports journalist who writes, does TV, radio, and is a longtime podcaster. Also, I have stage 4 prostate cancer, so my doctors advise me to stay home during these COVID-19 concerns. So what am I doing with my time? I'm calling some of the many friends, athletes, coaches, and colleagues who have been part of my life during more than 30 years in journalism. Oh, and I'm hitting the record button. Welcome to my life and the Life of Fitz podcast. There were a lot of players who stood out during the early years of Coach Bill Snyder's tenure at Kansas State, but one of those rises above the others to me. And it can be said that his decision to play at Kansas State in 1992 is the gift that keeps on giving. Kevin Lockett came to Manhattan from Tulsa's Booker T. Washington High School, and he quickly made his presence known on the field for Snyder's program. Flying high to make an endless string of aerial receptions for the Wildcats and gathering in seemingly at least one, how did he catch that reception a contest? Lockett was unlike any other pass catcher in K-State football history. In a word, he was prolific, rewriting the entire K-State receiving record book, and if he doesn't still hold a record, there's a good chance the mark was surpassed by either his brother Aaron, who followed him to K-State, or his eldest son, Tyler, who played for Snyder from 2011 to 2014 and broke his father's career receiving yards mark. Kevin was a first-team All-Big 12 selection in 1996 and was drafted in the second round of the 97 NFL Draft by the Kansas City Chiefs, eventually spending time with four different franchises before putting down his family's roots in Kansas City. And for all Kevin Lockett did on the field, his greatest accomplishments have been off the field. He's worked for both the Kauffman Foundation and the Kansas Bioscience Authority before taking his 20 years of experience fostering early stage businesses to become a partner in Fulcrum Global Capital, which invests with entrepreneurs in the fields of agriculture, ag tech, and animal health. And the great news for football fans is there are three more Lockett boys on the way, with Sterling, a prospect in the 2022 class, recently receiving a Kansas State scholarship offer, while 11-year-old twins Jacob and Jordan are, of course, budding athletes. Oh, and Kevin and his wife Cheryl also served a term on the Kansas State University's Foundation Board of Directors. With all of that said, let's call Kevin Lockett in Leewood, Kansas. Is Kevin there? I'll give it to him. Thank you. Hello. Hey, Kevin. How are you doing, Tim Fitzgerald? Good. How are you? I'm good, man. Which one of the boys was that? Oh, that's one of our little twins, Jordan. Yeah. That's awesome. How old are they now? 11. That's incredible. How's it having an 11-year-old in your mid-40s? Uh, <laughs> well, we got two of them because we got their twins. Yeah, so yeah. that's uh, it's actually pretty fun to see them at, at, at this stage, actually. Um, it's uh, They you know sort of can take care of themselves or each other. So that's we funny. just kind of get to enjoy um, 
you know, them being 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 boys, if you will. So it's not it's not anything like it was when they were two or three, when we had to be there every step of the way. So that part is nice. You know, I guess you stop and think about it. When you've got a game, they're on the same team, probably. So you're yep. you got two of them. That's pretty handy, actually. Well, when when they want to play outside, they they go play catch together. They shoot hoops together, and I mean, so that's, that's good. It's actually, it's actually a pretty good deal. What uh, at eleven? What sports are their sports? Uh, they play year round. They're football, basketball, baseball. So um, they are right now finishing up baseball and starting football practice, um, and then baseball will roll off here in about two weeks, and will be football only for about six weeks, and then basketball will be starting as we finish up a couple more weeks of football and then they'll play basketball November through March and then start back in baseball. Any chance either one would pick foot uh, a sport other than football as their their sport? I don't know. You know, they um I mean, they claim today that that's still their favorite, but you know, they're <laughs> they're 11, so um there's plenty of time to figure out if that's really true or not, but they they say it is, so we'll see. Okay. Well, it's uh running pretty deep in the family. Uh yeah. what, what year were you a freshman? 92? We uh, yeah, I got there 92. So you got there before the bowl games, before all the fun stuff and got to take part in it. Uh, let's go back to then. Why did you pick Kansas State? Yeah, so uh, it's a funny story. I mean, some people have heard it, but uh, it was actually sort of a process by elimination, process of elimination. Um, I wasn't a huge recruit coming out of high school. Um, Kansas State was on the radar. Uh, University of Missouri was on the radar. Um, Baylor uh, was on the radar. And so I'd set up my visits and was and had gone to Mizzou first. And during my time at Mizzou, uh, Bob Stoll was the head coach. Mm-hmm. And I had a fantastic week with or a weekend with all the players. And in my exit meeting with Bob Stoll, uh, it didn't seem to go so well. He um, he was talking with me and. Um, I just sort of had a sense that he maybe didn't wasn't sure who I was. Um, <laughs> you know, he you know they they meet a lot of kids and um, and he hadn't called me by name the entire meeting. And so there was one point in the meeting where he looked down in his file of drawers and then he started addressing me as Kevin. We you know we'd really like to have you and so forth. And you know I was 17 years old. I was young and a little brash, and so I just sort of called him on him and say, you didn't even know who I was, did you? Um, And I think it caught him a little off guard. And, you know, he did a good job of sort of dancing around it. But I remember flying back home thinking, I'm not going there unless I absolutely have to. Um, Love the players, but, man, that just – and that's the last meeting you have before you get on the plane to go home. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the next week, um, I have my visit to K-State, and it couldn't have been the polar opposite. Um, from the moment I touched down off the plane, uh, it was Kevin this, Kevin that. What do you need? They knew about my family. They knew about my younger brother. They knew about my interest in accounting. They had accounting professors there to meet with me during my trip. I mean, it was just, it was like they knew everything about you from A to Z. And so having those two experiences back-to-back weekends um, made it easy when I went home to say, wow, um, K-State is definitely above Missouri. 
And when Coach Schneider, in my exit meeting, offered me a scholarship, um, after flying home and thinking about it, I thought, you know what? I, why don't I just take this? And so I canceled my trip to Baylor and um, and decided to go to K-State. So um, it was a good experience on my trip with the players, and Andre Coleman was my host and, and had a great time. And it just it was the polar opposite of what I had experienced the week before, and so that, that made the decision even a little bit easier. So I didn't even know much about the history of K-State and poor performance in football or any of that. I just – I just felt comfortable when I got there with the guys and, and, and around the coaching staff and John Latina, who recruited me, and Del Miller, who was going to be my position coach. And so made sense. There's a great Mal- Malcolm Gladwell book called Blink, and it's about yes. trusting that gut instinct. And, and, yeah. and, you know, as I look back over my life, every bad decision I've made, and we've all made them, I knew better, you know? And yeah. Yeah. every time I didn't trust my gut, when my gut was saying, you need to do this, uh, it got me into trouble. So uh, that that sounds like a blink moment where you just you yeah. knew you knew deep down inside, yeah. and it's impossible to explain until you've had that feeling. Right, yeah. I agree. Yeah, it. Uh, I, I would say of all the people who have chosen Kansas State, possibly one of the more life changing moments because it has filtered down throughout this Lockett family, unlike anyone could have ever thought. It's just absolutely been incredible, hasn't it? You know, it has. And, I mean, I say this all the time, and I said this to to D. Scott the other day. Um, You know, people are always thanking us and so appreciative of what we've done for the university. And I always tell them, you just have no idea. This university has done, you know, so much for for us and our family as well. And it's not just – Athletically, it's it's academically, um, it's experience driven, um, and and since I've left the university as an athlete, um, I think I've I've had the fortune of being able to engage our university in a much different way than many. Um, alumni athlete do and so I've had the chance to sit on um, the intercollegiate uh, athletics advisory committee I had a chance to sit on the board of the KSU foundation for nine years Um, you know I I had experiences that were a little bit different and went beyond uh, just the athletic engagement with with the university and so um, I agree though I look back who knew that in you know 92 fall of 91 uh, when just a young skinny kid that really didn't know the history of K-State was making a decision that, um, you know, a couple of us would play for 10 years straight there and there'd be a small gap and then Tyler would come and be the best of of all that, that had a chance to come through. And then lo and behold, here we sit today with the chance that maybe there could be another 10-year span with, with three more that, that might possibly come through. Really cool. It's really, it's really an amazing story. Uh, what's Aaron up to nowadays? Uh, so Aaron lives in Houston. He um, he's worked uh, for a long time in the oil and gas industry, and so he's with uh, he was with uh, Phillips sixty six. Now he's with Shell. Um, but uh, just he's married. He's got an eight year old daughter, and um, uh, called Houston home now. That's awesome. That's awesome. What's what's wrong with him? Why can't he have sons? We need more lockets. <laughs> yeah, he's got he's got the girl. We don't. The only boys left are are my three coming up. Turn it, Aaron. Come on, man. <laughs> what uh, when when Tyler was going through the process? How hands on or hands off were you? 
of recruiting? You know, I, I uh, pretty much like I intend to be with Sterling. Um, obviously, will provide direction and guidance and, and provide my thoughts, but um, very much like my dad did to me, um, I think he's old enough to make his own decisions and felt the same way about about Tyler at that age. And, um, you know, give him things to think about, suggestions, um, but um, and if he asks, he'll get advice. That's what we did with Tyler as well. Um, but ultimately, we just show him what's what's important in the decision making process, and then we we leave it to him. Because at the end of the day, um, when Tyler chose to go to K State, we wanted him. We wanted it to be his decision because ultimately, when he got to a point where he wanted to leave the university or um, was frustrated, we always wanted to be able to point back and say, well, this was your decision. No one forced you to come here. You weighed all the options, and this is what you chose, and we don't quit. We don't give up. We we finish things out. So um, that was a lot of why we've always wanted the decision process to be uh, in his hands, and so we showed him the pros and the cons. Um, you know, the pros were, hey, we know what kind of coach you're playing for. You're playing for, you know, literally a Hall of Fame coach who's still walking the sideline. And we know what kind of program you're going to be in. We know what uh, type of ethics and integrity are going to be taught to you, what type of character the staff has. And we also know you're going to get a chance to play high-level football. But at the same time, we're not going to force you to come here. Um, you know, you, you can go to Iowa State. You can go to KU. Uh, you've got a few other options. Uh, and then we talked about some of the cons. You know, um, hey, you know, your dad and your uncle have gone here. So, um there's going to be some pretty lofty expectations, and uh, unfortunately, it's probably not fair, but but it's reality. Um, and so know that if you make that decision, like it or not, um, those expectations are going to follow you. And so Tyler was built in a way mentally where um, – very much like what I saw when I watched uh, Michael Jordan's The Last Dance, um, he looks for things to fuel him. Uh, and I really do believe that knowing he would be compared to myself and my brother, uh, his uncle, I do believe that that was sort of fuel for him to sort of prove to himself where he thought he fit in terms of athletic ability in our family. And so that's not the only reason he chose, but I, I, I can tell you it didn't deter him from wanting to come to Kansas State. And so we'll do the same process with Sterling. We've already started to have those conversations that, hey, the goals will be even loftier than they were for Sterling, for Tyler, um, because um, – you know, now Tyler's gone through, um, and he was the best of all of us to go through. So they're clearly going to be expecting uh, you to be uh, equal or better. And so weigh that into your decision-making process. And all I can say is, you know, he's enjoying the recruiting process now, but, but he also is built very mentally like Tyler was. Um, he looks for things to fuel him. And so um, – I don't think that reputation or that expectation, I should say, uh, that will come with him if he makes that decision, I don't think that will be a reason that would cause him to shy away from from choosing K-State. When D. Scott and Ryan Wallace and the rest of the guys went up to that camp or that that day, I, I was like, hold on, Sterling's – old enough to be recruited now what what the hell's going on here what how did this happen it's just it's amazing uh, it and you're the father you probably know that better than anyone how quickly it has gone from you know playing the youth sports like the twins are to up to now getting recruited and offered a scholarship it's incredible 
Yeah, it's pretty incredible. I mean, um, you know, and recruiting is done so di- so much differently than than even when I went through it with with Tyler. Um, you know, the the whole social media piece now, um, all the huddle stuff, all these showcases and camps and combines. I mean, it's just it's totally different. And so when I look back. Um, you know, I got my offer from Coach Snyder in December of of, of ninety one, um, and signing day was February of ninety two. So you literally had five or six weeks to figure out what you were going to do. Um, Tyler was very much the same way. I mean, he got his offer a little bit earlier. It was the summer going into his senior season, uh, but it was you know uh, it was it was right after spring ball. Uh, and I remember because we went to KU spring game because they wanted to offer him, and then we drove down and went to K State because they had it on the same day. Um, and so his was you know a little bit earlier, but not much. And then now you have kids who are in Sterling's position; they have two years left of co- of high school football. Um, and they have offers being thrown at them. So I think from one side of it, um, it's fantastic. It's comforting to know that as a parent, hey, your kid has reached a level that he's going to get a chance to see out his dream and be able to play college football. Uh, but on the other side, uh, you know, I just have to wonder, man, how hard are these coaches and recruiting coordinators jobs getting where they've got to look at a kid at 15, maybe 16, and decide whether they want to offer him um, because – you know, a 15- and 16-year-old kid is totally different than an 18-year-old kid. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of things change and a lot of things happen. And I think Sterling's probably on the early part of that curve. Um, he's like all of us. He's a late developer. Uh, he's a late bloomer. Um, his growth cycle will be later, um, just like all of us were. He, he struggles with putting on weight. and But I also think when you watch him play football, um, sure, he's got some natural talents, but – um, this is a kid that's grown up around football from the day he came out of the womb. So um, he's watched uh, a lot of people play, and I think mentally um, he is probably further ahead than any of the three of us were at the age of 16. Um, he understands coverages. He understands what defenses are trying to do. He has incredible conversations with Tyler around you know, just different things that defenses are trying to take away. And so, I mean, so his knowledge of the game, I think, um, is superior to where we were. And I think that's translated to some of the athletic success uh, that he's been able to have. I mean, he, he falls in line with sort of where I fit, which was he's a really smart player. I think he has a chance to be better than I was athletically, um, but I survived because I was smart. I, I sort of knew what was going to happen before it would happen. I think he's got that innate ability, but he's also got some some pretty incredible physical tools to go along with it. Yeah, that's it's going to be fun to watch. I mean, no matter where he ends up going, I'll, uh, every K State will have an eye on him because it'll just be really fun to watch. And and Tyler was just amazing. I I'd like to tell you something, a confession, a couple confessions here. First of all, that uh, Tyler's the f- my favorite athlete I've covered. I mean, just as a as a person and a player. Your son was the total package and and a gentleman and uh, just. Amazing. He was. He's. You were. It's a great kid. There's no other way around. Oh, I appreciate that. Thank and, you. And also, uh, we got this question on one of our podcasts this week. Who's your all-time favorite Wildcat? And my answer was you. Uh, and and the reason is is you came along at a time when Kansas State was just beginning to learn higher expectations in football than what we had had for ever, basically. And you know, certainly while I was in school and growing up. 
And you came along, and uh, I remember you kind of made a ESPN highlight, if there had been such a thing, almost every game. It was just remarkable. You you, you turned so many games with a one-handed catch or just a great route or or something that was really special. And you kind of define how the expectations of K-State football went from can we get to 500 to let's go to bowl games. And, and I appreciate mm-hmm. that very much. Well, I really appreciate that. I mean, we, we, I always do say, um, I think that 90, there a lot of special classes there, don't get me wrong, but yeah. I think that 92 class, um, I can remember, uh, almost every one of us redshirted and that had to be at least through the five years that I was there, the most tightly knit class um, that I'd ever seen. And there were kids from Florida and there were kids from, from Texas and Colorado. And, and somehow um, that year that we all redshirted, um, I mean, it was amazing to see how many guys expected to win, didn't believe in losing, and were willing to do the work that was required to change the atmosphere of maybe to um, – to a definite, it's going to happen. And I think what also happened is a lot of people in that 92 class played really early in their careers. Um, you know, a lot of us played as redshirt freshmen and, and redshirt sophomores. And so by the time we were redshirt seniors, um, many of us had a bunch of snaps underneath our belt. And we had experienced just about all you could experience in college football in terms of different situations. And so I think the combination of those two um, I think is what elevated, I think, K-State to a point where um, the culture began to shift, started to change the type of recruit we could bring in the door. Um, and then and that culture was infectious. I mean, the people we brought in, they, they were quickly taught that, that we expect to win here. This is not sort of a losing environment. Yeah, that's true. I mean, so much of what Coach Schneider did, um, it, of course it's X's and O's, but it was in that locker room, how he, he changed yeah. the – the mindset of the program. It was incredible to watch from the outside. And I can't imagine how cool it was to, you know, during your redshirt freshman season to go to a bowl game uh, and have that kind of turnout from a fan base, because it just like, you know, everything broke loose at that point. K-Staters felt free. And that I, I would tend to believe that never has a small bowl, which is what the copper bowl was, uh, had mm-hmm. that kind of turnout from a fan base ever, and it was just a magic moment. What do you remember that that pep rally in Tucson? Oh, absolutely. I mean, um, I remember. Um, you know, no one cared that we were going to the Copper Bowl. I think in our mind, it was we're we're in postseason play. Right. Um, and, and what I came to learn more than anything was, as a player, it was exciting because football wasn't over, and we got to sort of have this kind of vacation type trip, and it was what everyone aspired to be. But what I what I really came to appreciate as my career went on was, it was really an opportunity for us as a team to practice and work together for another three to five weeks. And people don't realize it, but that period of time became so critical in the development of our program year after year. After being able to know that football was not going to end sometime in December, but it would be likely sometime in January, it just gave us three to five more weeks worth of practice and gelling and becoming better players 
uh, and learning more. And then always, not always, but mostly playing an opponent that we would never see on our regular schedule. Um, and so, so I began to appreciate it from a different perspective, but I mean, I can just remember everything that came along with that bowl game. I mean, it was it was great fun off the field. Um, we had I remember guys like like Jamie Mendez and Kenny McIntyre, and those guys were shooting like promo videos for um, before the game. And I mean, it was just an experience. I think that that we all had that made us realize that this was something worth fighting for um, every single year. And then to turn around and see some roughly 30,000 fans that travel and make it, pep rally was absolute bananas. Um, it just it, it gave you the sense that this doesn't just matter to us. Um, this matters to a lot of people. And as I've come to learn more about a lot of K-State folks, um, for many of them, that was sort of their annual vacation. That's what they consider their – we're waiting for the bowl game, and that's where we're going. Um, and that's why it doesn't matter what bowl game they go to. There's always 15,000, 20,000 folks that are going to travel up there and are going to uh, enjoy that sort of atmosphere. And so, you know, I'm just thankful that, you know, I was part of that first class that got to experience, you know, four straight bowl games. Um, and so, obviously, it became a, a regular expectation for many of the classes that came after. But for us, uh, the culmination of it all was to make uh, a January 1st bowl game, which which obviously we did our senior year going to the Cotton Bowl. And um, that was a big deal for us. For whatever reason, uh, we continued to try to find different levels to achieve. And so going to a bowl game was great. And we wanted to go to a better bowl game and a better but, – but a January 1st bowl game at that time was considered a, sort of an upper-tier bowl. Right. Uh, and so when we got the opportunity to go to the Cotton Bowl, it was sort of, in our minds, uh, just the perfect way to, to wrap up a five-year um, career for all of that 92 class. It was a really cool string of bowls, too. I mean, that was uh, yeah. uh, Hawaii, San Diego. Hawaii, yeah. San Diego, yeah. That, and that San Diego bowl, I, I told I spoke with Mark Simino, uh last week on this, that that was my favorite bowl because that one was um, – the Holiday Bowl was a little more um, – What's the word I'm looking for? A little more prestigious back then, yep. and yep. Uh, there was just something about that that entire week in San Diego, culminating in a, a really remarkable game and how it took place. That was really special and kind of epitomized K State and where it was headed as a football program. Yeah, it was uh, it was definitely a special one. I think if I had to pick one, mine would be it would be Cotton Bowl. Not not necessarily because of the outcome, but. Um, I think for a lot of us, we felt like we'd made it to a stage that many never thought we could. Um, And not only were just happy to be there, but expected and believed to win. Um, We just really felt like, I think at least for me, um, we're sort of leaving the program really in good hands in terms of what's expected and, and where we've taken it. And I think that week at the Cotton Bowl was just for us, uh, or for me, a completely different level. I mean, the media was totally different than, you know, when we went to the bowl in Hawaii or, or the Copper Bowl. Um, it was just, it was it was a certain level of prestige there that really just kind of opened my, wow, this is big time college football. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a, it was a fun game. Um, you know, another play that, 
you you made or were part of that really sticks in my mind. I remember 95. It was my first game. I had left the newspaper industry to get into, you know, what I'm in now. It was a fan magazine yeah. for the Wichita Eagle, Purple Pride, and I'm sitting there in that press box in Cincinnati and uh, about to cover a loss. And then that the play's called, um, and you catch the ball in the front corner of that end zone. And, I mean, it, just all those things. There's like – there's just something so tangibly different about this program than it was a short few years ago. Um, what are your What are your memories of that pro that played in that Cincinnati game? Yeah, I think um, you know what I really remember is it had to be one of the worst offensive game performances we'd had. I think yeah. six turnovers. Um, never should have been in the game one bit. And you know, I remember thinking. Um, you know, somehow, some way, we're still going to win this game. Uh, and I can still remember and see it. Chuck Marlowe's covering the slot guy on Cincinnati, and he's trying to call timeout, and referee doesn't see him. And I think it's Robert Tate catches the ball and scores. And I'm thinking, wow, we have 40 something seconds left. Um, how did that happen? And I can remember on that last drive, there was just, there was, there was, a, there was a belief in our, in our huddle that, um, we have to figure this out and find a way. And I can remember Matt Miller saying, hey, whatever we got to do, let's figure it out. And, you know, it was just everyone had sort of a role on that final drive. I can remember Mitch Running caught a pass or two. I think Tyson caught a pass or two. Um, I remember we, we called timeout right before the last play, um, and we're trying to figure out what play to draw up. And Tyson says to Coach Schneider, hey, Coach, let's just throw a quick out so we can get a little bit closer so that the last play is in. Coach says, that's a good idea. And we throw it to Mitch and four-yard route or five-yard route. We get a little closer. And, you know, I think Coach already had an idea of what he wanted to do on the last play. And, um, you know, I was all fired up about, hey, just give me a chance, Coach. And and Matt just said, hey, I'm going to throw it up. Go get it. And, um, you know, it's just one of those kind of magical moments where the ball seems like it's hanging in the air forever and you're just wondering if it's ever going to get to you. And even when, you know, I caught it and I'm in bounds and it's just, I mean, the emotions start right away and it's just, there's so many emotions that came out, I think, in that, but more than anything, it was just, we got out of here. I mean, that was sort of the feeling. I mean, as much as I wanted to be excited about the fact that I did what a lot of kids dream of, which is catch a game-winning touchdown on the last play of the game, I think it was more of a sense of um, of satisfaction in the realm of, oh, my God, we snuck out of here with the win. We had to get this win because this is a year where we're expected to be a top-10 team, and here we are three games into the season on the road about to lose to an unranked team. And um, I can just remember how after the game, everyone's fired up and excited. And, you know, Coach Snyder comes in and is probably about as upset as I've seen him ever. Um, but I sort of felt the same way he did. And, and I think it was just the expectations from a lot of us had changed. Um, and while we were excited and happy that we'd gotten out of there and sort of stolen a win, um, I think there was also this honest moment for many of us of, this is not what we expect, mm -hmm. and and we've we've got to do better. And so, um, you know, I think that was a pivotal moment for us because leaving there three and zero versus two and one, uh, you know, it it could have changed things drastically. And so, um, I do think it was a pivotal moment in in, in K State history. But I also m remember it being a moment where uh, it was a realization on a lot of players' parts. Um, maybe we're not where we thought we were. We we need to go back and fix things before we get too far into the season. 
Hey, it's Fitz. Let's hit the pause button right here and take a little break. Uh, let's shift gears now and, and talk about your career since you left Kansas State. It's been it's been fun to watch from the outside. I mean, uh, your business career has been uh, a very interesting collection of things, you know, including working for the the Kauffman Foundation and and now fill people in on what you're you're doing nowadays. Yeah, so um, I mean, one of the great things about about K State is obviously they um, they prepare you to be successful in life after football, and for most of us, that's when we leave that college campus. But for me, I was I was blessed to have a chance to to play seven years, and um, it was a great experience. I wouldn't trade it for anything. But I also think um, it clearly showed me that uh, the first time I was around the game and understood that the game was a business. And um, while that didn't necessarily shock me. Um, I don't think I was uh, as excited about playing in the NFL as I once thought I might be when I was a kid. Um, you know, everything was about money and it was about contracts. And, you know, here I am used to just this culture and this environment where it's all for one and one for all. And, you know, NFL locker rooms can be pretty individualized. Um, a lot of guys that are in lockers next to each other are fighting for the same spots, same contracts. And so it's, it's a different environment. Um, but it was an incredible, incredible experience. And so uh, when I left there, I did have a chance to work for the Kauffman Foundation for nearly a decade. I graduated with a degree in accounting and finance. And so I always had and was intrigued by business. Um, started uh, my first business with uh, Rusty Wilson, actually, who used to own Last Chance. Um when I was in my third year with the Chiefs, and so we opened up a last chance here in Kansas City. Um, incredible experience. Uh, I guess we did well, but, man, there was so much learning that I had. But that was sort of the spark that caused me to always really want to understand business. And so uh, spending that time at the foundation was helpful. Uh, and so now uh, myself and, and two other partners, one of them is actually a K-Stater as well, um, we've got uh, a venture capital investment fund. And so uh, we invest in a bunch of early stage agriculture and animal health technologies uh, that are literally all over the world. We've got a couple investments from St. Louis to Western Kansas to uh, one in Ireland, one in Israel, uh, one in Canada. So um, we've got a number of companies that uh, that we've made investments in, and so our hope is that uh, we can provide some assistance and some value and, and help them grow, and uh, hopefully they get acquired one day, and we're all happy with the results. What's that process like, looking at someone's – so you're looking at a – you know, a proposal, but it's someone's dream uh, and trying to be not get caught up in the emotion of it, but looking at the, the numbers of it. Yeah, it's it's not a lot different, honestly, than than probably what Taylor Brett does at recruiting a kid for football. Um, you know, you get a profile um, and that profile is either intriguing or not to you based on, you know, what you're trying to to add to the team, if you will, um, based on, you know, the system that you run, the offense that you run, the capabilities you currently have and so forth. And so we'll get proposals all the time from businesses. It's the same thing. We've got an investment thesis that we've built and that we believe in, and some companies fit that thesis uh, more than others. And so they became a little more intriguing. But it's not just – 
that initial um, proposal, it then becomes all of the diligence that goes in after that. And so just like Taylor will be required to understand everything about a kid and his family and his grades and his work ethic and his ability to actually produce and put good film on tape uh, of running routes or catching passes or whatever the position is, uh, what his uh, ethics and integrity and character are like, what is he like in the community? All of that goes into Coach Kleiman deciding whether or not he's going to offer a kid. It's the same thing for us when we make a business decision. We are vetting everybody on that team, who's running the company, uh, how good is the technology, are there other people in terms of from a competitive standpoint that are out there, um, You know, how good is the science. Uh, how big is the market and the opportunity? And so it's it, it's not much different. And ultimately, we usually come out of that process either feeling really good about a potential opportunity or or we don't. Um, and it still is a bit of a crapshoot, just like when Taylor and those guys offer a kid a scholarship. You don't really know if that kid's going to turn out to be what you expect yeah. them to be. And guess what? You get 20 to 25 of those choices a year. And, you know, it's very much like ours. Uh, the difference is uh, Taylor and those guys are playing with – with a scholarship and we're playing with, with real money. Um, and so, and there's is real money as well, but we're playing with, with our money and other people's money. And so, um, you know, we do our best to vet these opportunities, uh, to the best of our ability, but ultimately with the idea that we are picking companies that we believe are being led, uh, by incredible smart people, uh, that are highly driven and have an innovative technology that ultimately are going to build something that, our world needs and will want and will be a value to someone who looks to acquire that company. That's really cool. That's really cool. And you mentioned you've been involved with Kansas State. Go, you mentioned some of those things earlier, but go over the things you've done with Kansas State because this is – what a cool opportunity. I mean, almost zero alumni get to do these type of things, and you've been very involved in everything. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, there, there's a lot of people that, that gave me that opportunity to do that. I, I always tell people um, – you know, I I I firmly believe my relationship with Coach Snyder um, post my career was much was even better than it was during my career, um, and we had a fantastic relationship during my career. But I got to know him on a completely different level once I began to have the opportunity to engage the university in a completely different way, um, and so. You know, I've had the opportunity to, you know, be a financial donor back to the university and to create um, a room in our old Hill library that was specifically for um, student athletes. That was sort of a study hall before we really had what you see today at sort of the veneer complex today. And it was really built more for the other sports, not necessarily football, because football players are usually pretty well taken care of. Um, all the way to being able to, to serve on the board of the KSU Foundation, which obviously their their job is to raise money uh, philanthropically for for the university to be able to operate. Um, during uh, John Curry's time, I had the chance to sit on his uh, intercollegiate um, uh, athletic advisory committee. Uh, incredible opportunity to get to understand the athletic department and how it operates and functions uh, from a completely different perspective. Um, I sat on the KSU uh, board uh, for entrepreneurship division. Um, that also tied directly into a lot of the work that I do in business. And so now I'm on the uh, KSU uh, School of Businesses Advisory Council. And so opportunity to sit next to you know some of some incredible folks that have graduated from K State 
from the School of Business that are doing amazing things from, uh, you know, running, you know, conglomerates, if you will, uh, all across the, the country um, that I get a chance to, to sit on this council with them. So I've been able to see different parts of our university, and it just gives you a deeper appreciation for all of the pieces that that go into uh, that university working and operating the way it does. And so that's why I say when, when I say that I have such a incredible appreciation for that university, it goes well beyond the five years that I spent there and the time that I got to go in the weight room and, and study hall and spend time around the coaches and play incredible games on the field with, with incredible teammates. Uh, it's far beyond that. It's it's the Manhattan community. Um, it's, it's all the other pieces of that university that work together for us as student athletes to have that experience. Uh, there's just there, there's so much more than just um, you know what people saw, which was uh, us play ten or twelve games on a Saturday afternoon. Have you ever considered getting into uh, athletics administration, that type of thing, in in your career? Yeah, there was a period of time when. Um, when I did, um, I'm probably thankful that I never did. Um, you know, uh, there was even a period of time where, um, I considered, you know, should I be, um, a college football coach? Um, but I think what I've come to realize is, uh, I love business. That was why I got intrigued by the athletic department is because anybody that knows anything about athletics today knows that uh, athletics is a business on the college yeah. uh, level uh, today. And so that was always <clears throat> intriguing to me. But I guess I now get my kicks from being able to coach you sports. Um, and so um, with Sterling and even with, with our twins, um, you know, since they started in basketball, I've coached all their basketball teams. I've coached all of their flag and, and tackle football teams. So I still stay busy and stay engaged with sports. And so I, I guess I still get that part um, uh, checked. I get to check that box, I guess you can say. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, there were there were all there were periods of time throughout where I thought, man, maybe I should be a college coach. Maybe I should be uh, in the athletic department. And I think that I've still got to engage with both of those professions just in different ways. You know, I sat on that committee that John Curry had had me on, which gave me incredible insight. Uh, obviously, always had a co- close relationship with Coach Schneider. And so um, while I never became a college coach, I did get to understand what that profession was like, which led me to understand that's probably not for me. Um, so, um, so incredible insight into those spots. But uh, I get my kicks now from coaching, coaching little kids. When you heard about Coach Snyder stepping away, um, what, about 20 months ago, uh, what were your first thoughts? Well, all kinds of mixed emotions. Uh, You know, I mean, um, you've got a guy who has literally built that program from the ground up. Uh, Literally every pebble that it's taken to to build that stadium, um, you know, should somehow be attributed to him. And at the same time, the mixed emotion of not wanting him to stay too long, um, like we've seen with, you know, some coaches like maybe Bowden down at Florida State or Paterno at Penn State and so forth. Um, And so really just wanted him to get the recognition that I thought was so well-deserved, but also 
wanting him to go out on his terms, and and that was going to be hard. I knew because um, he's the type of guy that his terms are I'll I'll leave when I'm dead, um, and and that may be too long, um, and at the same time. Um, you know, how do you take a guy and push him out uh, after he's done so much? And so, you know, I think change is, is is always hard. I think change is necessary, though. And I think the timing has, has worked out uh, to be good on both sides. I think, you know, Coach Snyder, while it was difficult, I think, at first for him, um, I think he started to settle into a little bit more about what life is like after football. Uh, I know him and Sharon's relationship is just fantastic. Um, he's now, you know, it, it's it's opened Sean's eyes. Sean's got different opportunities. And he's down at SC, and now he sees football from a totally different perspective. And, you know, Coach gets to spend time with the grandkids and the great-grandkids. And so while it was a difficult change, um, I think he's still figuring out what life after is like, and he's starting to appreciate more about what's out there than 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 all he knew when he was a head coach. And then I think for the program, it's Coach Kleiman's been sort of a breath of fresh air and and, and new life into yeah. that program. Um, you know, um, you know, in my mind, it was difficult when I saw John, John Curry leave. Um, in my mind, he did so much for that university from a development perspective. I mean, we talk about how Class of '92 took us to a different level athletically. I think he he did the same thing from an athletic department perspective. Um, our facilities became incredible. Our donor base became um, um, uh, very competitive, and, and wanting to give back and compete with each other on, on amounts being given. I mean, he really just pushed us into that upper tier of what D1 colleges are. And I think that's what Coach Kleiman sort of has the opportunity to do uh, as we speak now. I mean, it's, he's a breath of fresh air. He's bringing a new vision. Uh, but he's still holding on to a lot of the same principles that have built K-State football. Um, and so, look, he's one year in, and in my, in my mind, he surpassed um, – what many thought he might have the ability to do last year with the team that he put on the field. And I think as he continues to assemble more and more of his players, uh, I just believe he's going to build uh, a bigger, better, stronger program. And so, you know, my hope is I don't look at this as, um, you know, what will he do after year one or year three or, you know, for me, this is a long-term, a long-term decision. And um, I'm really looking at, can he build a foundation here that can allow our program uh, to always be a top 25 team for the next 20 years? Um, and so that's what I think K-State fans have become accustomed to. Uh, and that's what I think he's off to a good start in terms of, of doing. Yeah, there'll be up years, there'll be down years, but I I think most people believe now that K-State should always be battling for the Big 12 championship. And I think that we we have that opportunity under, under Coach Kleiman's uh, leadership. Very interesting thoughts, and, and in alignment with what I think. I, I'm critical of John Curry for some of the stuff he did, but there is no doubt that before John Curry, K-State built things to get by. And yep. after John Curry, during John Curry, K-State build th- builds things now to do it the right way. And we're seeing that even now under Gene Taylor with the south end zone construction. That yep. stadium – um, was good enough before John Curry, and it became damn good under John Curry and other facilities too. It's been it's been a remarkable change of thinking, and that's interesting. You you pose that as the thinking in the locker room. He did that inside the department. Let's stop thinking of Kansas State as 
what we have been in the past and what we are going to be. And everything's first class now. Yep. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I got to know John really well and John wasn't liked by everyone, but, um, you know, when you come in and you change things or you, you push, uh, upstream, um, everyone doesn't always buy into your vision. And, you know, would I sit here and say that everything John did was absolutely correct? Well, no, but none of us have, but what I can say is he was of sort of a little bit of the build it and they will come mentality. And what he's done is you can't walk as a 17-year-old, 18-year-old recruit on that campus, um, and you can't now put an X through K-State as an option when you once could 15 years ago, uh, simply because you could visit OU or OSU or Texas, and their facilities were so impressive that 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 you could just mark K-State off the list if they happen to be on the same recruiting list. And so now uh, that doesn't exist. You walk into that football locker room at K-State and you take a look at all the amenities that are there and the, the food bar and the, and all sports performance, and you walk away and you don't feel any difference being at K-State, Oregon, or Texas, which just gives us a leg up um, in terms of recruiting. And so at least puts us on an equal plane. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I've always been a fan of John, um, John and I have had disagreements on different things, but at the end of the day, uh, I think our university's better, um, than it was with, with John Curry being, being in the position he was in. Yeah. And when it comes to Chris Kleiman, I, I look at him and I see such differences between him and coach Snyder. And yet the product they want to put on the field is very similar. It's, it's, yeah. they get about it different ways, but it's a more traditional run-based. Uh, this is we're going to be physical and disciplined and execute and all those things that I love about football that I was raised were good about football. Coach Snyder epitomized, and so does Chris. They just go about it differently. Yeah, I think I think that's all it is. It's a different era, um, but I think they both believe in and are trying to accomplish the exact same thing. And so um, I'm just glad that he got off to a good start because uh, we talked earlier about unfair expectations uh, like Tyler had and like Sterling will have if he makes this decision to attend Kansas State. Um, I think Kleiman had the same unfair expectations. I mean, you're walking in the footsteps of a legend. And whether you like it or not, whether you knew him or not, um, that's what you're going to be compared to. And, and, for all purposes, that's not right. It's not fair, but it's reality. I mean, I did it myself to him. So um, I'm glad he got off to a good start because the last thing I wanted to see was for him to go four and eight or five and seven, like what was predicted. And, uh, you know, here we are, people are questioning the decision, you know, less than 24 months into the decision. And so again, this is Gene made a long-term decision and, and I hope, and I believe that it, it looks like it's going to pan out to be the right decision. And so I'm glad he got off to a good start so that, uh, at least the amount of criticism he would have to face would be minimized a little bit. One final topic. I, I, I need to ask you about how cool it is to have a kid like Tyler in the NFL doing the things that he's doing. It's, uh, I, I, it's got to go somewhere beyond pride. I mean, it's just absolutely incredible what he's been able to accomplish in his NFL career. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think, I think the big thing is we're, we're totally excited about what he does on the field, but I think more than anything, we're probably more proud of what he does off the yeah. field. Um, you know, I everyone says their kid's a good kid, and I and they are, and 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 I think Tyler falls in that category for us. I mean, he's uh, he just amazes us 
uh, with the things that he does and the way that his mind works. But I, I really think at the core of all of it, um, he's someone who cares about people. And, um, you know, sometimes he cares about people more than himself, which um, is great because it's unselfish. But at times you almost have to have to remind him that, um, you know, hey, you need to at least care about yourself as much as you care about other people. Um, and so he's always trying to do for people. And But I think having that servant heart and that servant mentality um, is the polar opposite of what you anticipate an NFL player to be. And I think that's that's a lot of what makes him special. It's not that he's he's just successful on the field. It's also that he goes about that success uh, in the right way. And so, you know, many times I come across people who who will say, very similar to what you said earlier on this on this call, is that, um, you know, he was just a good kid or he's a great kid and he just does stuff the right way. And so um, that's probably what we're most proud of. And, and it's because, um, again, whether he likes it or not, he serves as a role model for many. Um, biggest thing is he's a role model for Sterling and for Jacob and Jordan. And, you know, they look up to him every step of the way. And so when they can look up and they can see that here's a guy who's at the pinnacle of his career and he's wildly successful and he's on ESPN and he's in the top, you know, 65 players in the league and all this stuff, um, they also get to see that he's the same guy that finds out that, hey, your game's on Saturday and, hey, I'm going to fly in on Friday so I can go to your your league baseball game because I want to see you play. And I want you to know that 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 – it matters to me. And so, you know, I think that more than anything, it's the example um, that he continues to set, even when he's not trying to, uh, for a lot of these young people that, that we are that we are so proud of. And so a lot of that, people will say, well, gosh, you guys have done an incredible job of parenting him. And look, we've, we've done what we can, but it's not just us, right? It's, it's, it's a village. It's, it's my parents. It's, it's, um, it's Coach Snyder. It's that staff. I mean, it's all the experiences that Tyler has had. It's that Seattle locker room, uh, the veterans that were in it when he was a rookie, that now he's a veteran. I mean, it's, it's all those experiences, I think, that have – help shape him uh, into the type of person that uh, acts and, and thinks and, and speaks and feels like he like he does. I appreciate you taking the time to talk. This, this was a lot of fun for me. Absolutely. Happy to, Tim. I appreciate it. Thank you for everything. Okay, Kevin. Take care of yourself. That was awesome. Needless to say, Kevin Lockett is the real deal, both on and off the field. And he's passed on his wisdom and kindness to his boys also. It was a real pleasure to speak with Kevin because this interview wraps up the first season of the Life of Fitz podcast. I plan to come back after this sports season, and I may even widen my horizons a bit beyond those whom I have met during my career. So let me offer one final reminder to men who are 45 or older. Go get your PSA scored. It's a simple blood test that aids in the early detection of prostate cancer. Take care, everyone. I will talk to you real soon.